Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography Podcast. Today, my guest is Lauren Wickline. Lauren is a mental health therapist. Welcome, Lauren. So happy to have you here. Happy Thursday. How are you doing? Hi, Brad. Nice to be here. Happy Thursday to you. It's an honor to be here on your podcast. I am so excited to have you here and jump in and start sharing all about the beautiful light you put out into the world through the work you do and share a little bit about your story and journey. So with that being said, let's jump right in. As I mentioned, you are a mental health therapist. How long have you been working in the field of mental health and what inspired you to pursue a career in the field of mental health? Oh, so I graduated undergraduate school in 2008, got my bachelor's in psychology. So I've been working in a variety of settings, including schools, outpatient, and I'm now currently doing outpatient as well as inpatient psych. So I've been in the field for quite some time. I got licensed in 2021 and am able to practice privately. Oh, it's so funny. Every time someone asks me that question, that's a loaded one about what, what how I chose to get into the field. Yeah. I guess I've always just been, I don't know, when I was younger, I was always told I was very much just in tune with a lot of things and an old soul. I would be watching things like Nick at Night when I was younger and older movies and just very in tune with just people and behaviors and themes and all these concepts. And I decided I wanted to do that for a living. And here I am. (laughs) So what fuels your passion for mental health and how has it evolved throughout your career? I think what fuels it is seeing the growth in so many people. Now, of course, obviously, you're going to have times or patients or clients that don't want to put the work in and you don't see a lot of growth and effort, but just seeing improvements and just seeing people become the best version of themselves, I think it's really, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to see even a small amount of growth compared to where they were. And it's definitely changed a lot for me because of just my own recent story and my own recent heartbreak and soul searching that I've had to do, it it definitely has made me more in tuned with just the profession and just working with people in general. And so what inspires you or lights you up the most about the work that you do, Lauren? Again, just seeing people when they have their, I call it the aha moment. A lot of times in a therapeutic process, whether it's inpatient or outpatient, what really drives me is when they finally get it and they finally choose themselves. Say, oh, okay, I am better than this. I am stronger than depression. Or if I have it, I'm going to learn how to move with it and work through it in my daily life. This is not going to defeat me. When they finally choose themselves, it is one of the most rewarding moments for me to see. I'm sure. And on the flip side of that, Lauren, what would you say is one of the most difficult parts of the work you do? 
Well, for me, until recently, when I've really had to start learning and setting my own boundaries, it is the burnout. You do have to be really careful in this field and make sure you're taking care of yourself. And I'm sure, and I think I've heard on your podcast, I know you've talked to other professionals too, and it almost sounds cliche at this point to say self-care because everyone talks about that, but it is so true. Because yeah, sometimes you do tend to to carry what you hear and just the energy of clients and what they're going through. So I would say that is a factor. There's bigger factors too with each state, just with funding and whatnot. And that could be a whole other topic of just needing- <laughs> so, so could burnout. More, yes. And just needing more resources just in the mental health field in general. I mean, I think all fields need more resources, but mental health, it's getting better. It's I will say just from what I've seen, it's better than what it was in like even the 80s and 90s. But even the early 2000s, there was still a lot of stigma around it. So I'm not saying it's not getting better and there's more awareness, but there's still a ways to go. How has being a mental health therapist contributed to your own personal growth and understanding of human nature? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a long one, too. Well, it's almost like the cliche. You always hear physician heal thyself. When you're working in this field, you really have to do your own self-work and deep dive. And I'm not going to speak for all mental health professionals, but it's pretty common that most therapists have their own therapist. And I do. And I was kind of lacking with that for a little while. But when I had this discard from a narcissist this past April, I said, okay, no choice. Now it's time to really get down and do the deep work. So I think that's the most important thing is just making sure that you're doing your own work too, and you're improving yourself and your health, your sleep habits, your time with friends, all of that, and your boundaries. That's a big one. Yeah. I mean, you have to be on all the time working in at all of our jobs. We have to be on, but with the mental health field, I mean, I would think you have to be 100% on all the time. And if you're not taking care of yourself, that's not going to be the case. And you can't pour, I know, again, it, like you said, it sounds cliche, but you can't pour from an empty cup. You have to be filled no. up before you can support and give back in the capacity that you do working in the mental health field. Yeah, for sure. And I think you've talked to nurses too as well. Yeah. It's just yeah. sometimes we run ourselves ragged yeah. in a field like this. You really can't do that because you will, I mean, you can create your own problems like, yeah. like anxiety, depression, like you start getting your own symptoms that you have yeah. to start addressing if you're not taking care of setting boundaries, getting eight hours or hours of sleep, all that kind of thing. So. Yeah. And I would imagine the boundaries are incredibly important as well. Yes. In the industry, the field that you do too, right? Very much so. Not just with clients, but I'm finding more and more in just everyday life as a recovering people pleaser. And I talk about this. I actually started my own podcast recently. Oh, it's, it's, in the, it's in the early stages. We'll see what happens. It's, <laughs> but as a recovering people pleaser, yeah, you have to have boundaries, not just in your work life with clients, but with everyday people. Like it's okay to say, I'm really not in a good headspace for this today, or I'm not in the mood to go out today, but let's communication. So, and that takes practice because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings and setting boundaries is hard in the beginning, but you yeah. get better with it. <laughs> Do you get a lot of your friends coming to you 
looking for guidance and support and help? And how do you deal with that? So yes and no. Yeah, Yeah, yes and no. Obviously, they know that I can't be a full-on professional to them because that's bias. You know, my friends, I could never be a full-on therapist. So they are very delicate when they ask me. But I always tell them, please come to me if you need anything. But they are really respectful. They always ask me, hey, do you mind? Do you have a few minutes? Are you okay with discussing this? I know it's been a hard day for you or (laughs) can we eventually, they just want my perspective, but they're not asking a lot from me. They're not draining me because they know I need that self-care time. Right. They're not infringing on those boundaries. No, no. Okay. That's good. Yes. And that's really important to have friends like that. Yeah, for sure. Because I could see that getting out of hand where friends just come to you because that's your profession. So I could see that being something that, that friends do. Yeah. And again, that's where that boundaries and communication piece comes in. I'll have certain friends. I just might say, hey, can we just go see a movie and just not talk? I want to watch something <laughs> stupid. If I'm having a problem, can we just do something silly. And that's okay too. You need different levels of interactions of what you need. Sometimes you want to go out with a friend and process all your feelings and talk about problems, but then other times you don't need that. (laughs) Yeah. You just need someone beside you, just a body beside you, just to be there, just so you're not by yourself. Right. Exactly. (laughs) You being a champion and advocate for mental health, why is this cause so personally important to you? Why have you decided to make this your personal mission? Oh, well, Because again, I think people can really grow and become a better version of themselves. I don't think people are defined just by whether it's trauma or whatever their chemical imbalance may be. I think you can still treat a whole person and have them just grow. I always say my clients or just whatever you're going through, you're more than your trauma and you're more than your diagnosis. So yeah, it's very, it's deeply personal for me. Now you've been working with people who are dealing with mental health for a number of years now. I'm curious, have you seen a notable shift in mental health and bringing it to the forefront or getting more exposure for the issues of mental health since you first started as to where we are now? Yes, I have seen it come more to the forefront on places like social media, which that's a double-edged sword because that's wonderful. It's wonderful that things like narcissism, boundaries, PTSD, all those things are becoming more talked about, which is great on social media. But then other times it almost becomes like a social media influence and there's some misinformation out there sometimes. So it's wonderful, but I will always say, make sure that you go see an actual professional and don't just get your help off of TikTok. Again, <laughs> it's, it's helpful to let you yeah. know that it's good for basics, but then sometimes it's not. Right. It's like you said, it's a double-edged sword for sure. Yeah. I still think that, and again, of course, I don't work in the field, but through talking to professionals like yourself and other people who I know are dealing with mental health issues, that mental health awareness is nowhere near where it should be. And as you mentioned off the top, we've improved, but it's there's still a long way to go. It doesn't get talked about enough. And in my opinion, it's still swept under the rug mm-hmm. like it's a dirty little secret. Like I think back to when my parents were growing up. And that generation, it oh, wasn't man. talked about at all. So Nothing. We've come, yeah, so we've come a long way from there. Would you agree, though, that it's still swept under the rug and still not talked about enough? And if so, why do you think that is, in your opinion? Again, less swept under the rug, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of factors that can be 
in play as to why it's quote-unquote swept under the rug. It could be, again, like you were saying, generational. There's a lot of just generational stigma from it. Like, for example, even back during World War II, there were no services for those guys. It was called things like shell shock or just man up, get over it, yeah. pull through, let's just go. And so generational, sometimes it could be cultural too. Some cultures are very much... Or, not against mental health, but it's still seen as a stigma and it's not necessarily anything malicious or against it. It's just some cultures say, well, we need to keep it within the family or we keep it within the church or we keep it within whatever it is. So there's a lot of factors in place when it comes to that. And then, so in your opinion, how do we start making bigger strides with this and shine a light on this and bring more awareness to the mental health issues that we're dealing with today? Yeah, I would say just meeting people where they are and where they're willing to grow. And again, coming from that place of acceptance and seeing as the whole person as opposed to just the diagnosis. So I'll give you an example. One of the questions we ask people when they're on the psych unit or during assessments, it's like, do you have religious preference or do you have any significant cultural customs that are very important to you? And there's a reason why we ask that because it's just, we want to incorporate all of you as the whole person. I think a lot of times there's a stigma. And I, again, I heard social media, I saw this, that <laughs> there's a lot of people who are, I don't know where they heard this, but a certain religious group one time said, don't go to mental health professionals. They want to turn you away from God. And oh, when wow. I heard that, I said, that is absolutely not <laughs> the truth at all. So again, that misinformation out there that we Mental health professionals want you to just stop believing in religion and just do antidepressants. Well, no, it's not that simple. It's not that Mm -hmm. dogmatic. What do you think is the biggest roadblock or hurdle that's preventing us from shining a brighter light onto the mental health problem and getting more assistance and awareness around that? Unfortunately, I do believe a lot of it is still that shame factor. There's still that shame factor. That's whether it's from, again, a generational thing of like previous parents or just society. Unfortunately, even when it's getting more modern, people come in on the psych unit or in outpatient and they feel very ashamed. Like they they say, I'm not crazy. I feel like I shouldn't be here, but I'm struggling. And so we immediately have to start deconstructing the shame aspect. That's the main thing. It's, well, no, you're not crazy. I hate that word. You might be having some symptoms. You have some symptoms right now. Again, a lot of people, when they view mental health, because they haven't had much exposure to it or to therapy, they honestly still view it as one flew over the cuckoo's nest. They honestly think it's that extreme and that's what it all is. So I think just reducing the shame aspect of it and really just talking and bringing more awareness of like to what therapy is. There's some people who go into therapy with, they don't necessarily have depression, anxiety, but they are going through a significant life change and they say, hey, I just want to be here for six months just so I can help navigate and process. So I Mm -hmm. think the more people talk about it and get rid of that stigma with therapy, especially and and medication too. I can't speak as much on that's more on the psychiatry side, but still that too, getting rid of that shame of what you need at the time. So like, for example, I hear a lot of people say, I don't want to get on antidepressants. It's a crutch. Well, no, it's not a crutch. It's what it is. It helps you process things a little bit easier. Is it that common that people come in and say, I'm not crazy? I just, is that really common? The people that you deal with? 
Unfortunately, it is. And again, it could be just where I'm located. I'm located in more of a rural area. Right. And that that could have some aspects to it as well. But yeah, unfortunately, again, probably because of the area, people are saying, well, I'm not crazy. I just need this. And it's, well, wait a minute. Let's start from the beginning. No one's saying you're crazy. Now, therapists, of course... We talked, we touched on this very briefly, also need that self-care. So how do you prioritize your own mental health and well-being while providing support to others? So it's back to what we were saying earlier, <laughs> the big B word, boundaries. And yeah. that's something I really have had to learn over this past year is setting time and making it intentional for self-care. And when I say self-care, a lot of times people will say, well, we can't go to a spa all the time. Well, that's not what I mean, <laughs> going to get massages or a spa or anything like that. What it means is just allowing yourself, hey, like, for example, I'm really tired today. I need to stay in tonight or I need to, I do need to go out and see people tonight. So, and it's listening to your body as well. It's just paying attention. Okay. I didn't really sleep the greatest. I need to make sure I prioritize getting some rest this weekend. So I think a lot of it is just listening to your body as well. As we've mentioned, stigma is a persistent issue when dealing with mental health and when your patients come in. How do you work to reduce stigma in your practice and what advocacy initiatives are you involved in around that? So to reduce the stigma, when someone first comes into the practice, I really just open up the floor to them. I want to hear all what they have to say of like why they were uneasy about coming here. What have you heard of someone else being in therapy or have you been in it before? What did you like from it? What didn't you like and what can we do different? So really just opening up and listening to what their perspective is. And because I'm very much of an integrative approach to therapy. So like, for example, I love doing expressive arts therapy, but someone might come in and say, Lauren, I don't feel like doing any of that crap today. I really just need (laughs) to process. Okay, well, then let's do it that way. And as far as advocacy, I am involved with that with the hospital that I do work for and just with the outpatient practice I'm in and as well as social media too. just promoting, hey, it's all right to not be okay. I know that's a cliche now, but it really is. Yeah. And it's okay to seek guidance elsewhere as opposed yeah. to just friends and family. Now, you mentioned expressive creativity. Therapy, obviously, it can be an art as well as the science side of things. So how do you incorporate creativity and non-traditional methods? And what are some of those methods that you do use? So obviously, cognitive behavioral therapy is the gold standard because it is proven to work. But I also, again, with creativity, a lot of people are really into, well, like storytelling, narrative therapy. There is a whole other department of therapy. Now, I think you have to have a certificate for it, but there's even drama therapy where it's, yes, like acting it out, role playing. That can be really powerful. Expressive arts, making something and even field work. I've had people do field work. And what that means is, like I'll give an example, reclaiming something when let's say they're at a certain spot in their therapy journey where let's say there's a place for them that's triggering, but it's a place that they like that they really enjoyed going to in the past before this person hurt them or whatever. So when they're ready and when they're at that point, let's say I'll have them go sit in that place with a friend or something and say, okay, well, let's make a new memory. Let's start getting rid of that association. Yeah. Right. Now, again, that's when someone's really ready, but just 
again, I cater to what I believe the person needs while still incorporating the stuff I learned in graduate school and just my own creativity. Interesting. Okay. Can you share a specific case or experience that had a profound impact on your approach as a mental health therapist leading to personal or professional growth for you? I'll have to think about that one. (laughs) (laughs) There's been so many. Well, when I was in outpatient primarily, I'm only doing that part-time now because I'm mainly working inpatient for hospitalization. I did have a woman who was very much struggling with substance use and just not feeling her self-worth. She was struggling with setting boundaries, very much a people pleaser. And it was like a whole year and a half of just working through things and processing because she had a lot of trauma. But to see her finally choose herself, and again, I know that's a cliche, but when she had her aha moment of, I'm not going to be drinking like this anymore, and I'm not going to be just engaging with certain people that do not support me in my recovery. Setting boundaries again. Correct. Yep. That common thread of boundaries. Yeah. It's a big one because it's the most difficult one for a lot of people. Mental health is multifaceted. How do you approach therapy from a holistic perspective, considering the interconnectedness of mind, body, and spirit? So we have a phrase in mental health and it's called biopsychosocial. (laughs) So it's basically the same thing recognizing that all of these things work in tandem. Um, So you're saying mind, body, spirit. For example, body, if someone has the flu, we're not going to be going into the subconscious and going back to your childhood. That's just not going to happen. So the first thing is going to be, well, we got to take care of ourselves physically. And then what are you ready for mentally? And then spiritually, and that looks different for so many different people. Everybody's spirituality or religious journey is different. So yeah, it's a very similar model, biopsychosocial. They they all work together. Like I'll give you another example too of if let's say depression runs Mm -hmm. in your family and it's purely just a chemical imbalance and you just need help with that. So we got to fix the biology part of it. Then we can start working on the therapeutic part of it, processing things, increasing social support. So yeah, they all definitely work in tandem. How do you empower your clients to continue their mental health journey beyond the therapy room, fostering self-efficacy and sustained well-being? I always tell them my goal is for you to not need me anymore, but always feel free to come back to whether it's me or another therapist if you need to. So I always just, before they discharge from therapy, for example, I always do almost like a safety plan with them. And that's done in inpatient too, of just look, what are some warning signs that you might need a little bit of help or you might need to come back. What are your triggers? Can you manage them? Can you not manage them? What happens if you can't manage them? What do you need to do? So we just kind of put a plan in place of keep doing like the daily affirmations. Like if that's your thing, keep doing what's working for you, but have a plan in place if we need to. What are three of the most important lessons that you've learned in your career as someone who works in the field of mental health? The biggest one is one size does not fit all. (laughs) That's a big one because, yeah, everybody's background's different. Everybody responds to a different therapeutic approach differently. Another one, back to the B word, the boundaries. (laughs) That's so important. And, And that really started coming about during the pandemic 
because whew, let me tell you, and I'm sure other mental health professionals told you too, we were loaded. I it can was, imagine. You guys must have been flooded. It, it was nonstop. And I just had to really sit with myself and realize, oh my gosh, I have got to start taking better care of myself because at the time it was all virtual and then you're yeah. stuck at home. So it's like you don't even have that drive to work yeah. and then come back just to, to process. decompress. Right. I have that now, thank God. But <laughs> but at the time, that's when I really had to learn that. So yeah, boundaries, one size does not fit all. And then also too, communication is key. I've learned that's a big thing too. You really have to advocate for yourself and just for your profession and your clients and encourage your clients to advocate too. Just, hey, I'm not feeling the great, this isn't working, can we try something else? But yeah, you've got to learn to speak and use your voice. So what, I'm just curious, speaking of the pandemic, what outlet did you have? Because like you said, you're stuck at home and you guys were completely flooded. And I'm sure you <laughs> saw it in your colleagues as well. What outlets did you guys have? Well, we had to get creative. Luckily, towards March, April, it was starting to warm up a little bit. So I made sure I spent a lot of time outside, even though we couldn't go anywhere. Spending a lot of time just walking, getting away from the computer and just yeah. detaching from it. Because the issue was, I'm sure you've heard this from a lot of people, was we were doing virtual online sessions and then you can't go anywhere. So then you turn on the TV. Now more screen because we're watching a movie. There's no separation. And then luckily to the dance school I was part of, I, I still doing Irish dance. They were doing okay. virtual classes. So I did have that and I made yeah. sure just to really be intentional about that. And then I also did something where I had to think of some creative way to separate I'm at home, but I'm working to, okay, now I'm not working. So I made sure, like I was saying, stepping away from the computer, doing something else, changing clothes, just something to yeah. signify work and home. And yeah, a lot of people told me too that those lines got blurred big time. I'm sure. Came. Did you yeah. guys have any kind of support sessions with your colleagues that you could vent and oh, share yeah. and very much so very much so okay. and again i wasn't working at the hospital at the time during the pandemic right. it was all outpatient so it was all virtual so yeah we very much had to rely on virtual sessions of hey we need a supervision <laughs> yes or we just need a supervision well yeah it was called supervision and right. so that was all the colleagues coming together with our supervisors saying oh my gosh i'm so tired and like venting and, and, sessions well that and we also had to figure out look, I know there's a need, but you can't load me like crazy, the caseload. We're all trying to process this too. I mean, it's a pandemic. Like unless you were yeah. around during the 1918 flu pandemic, <laughs> it, we don't really know how to deal with this. So yeah, exactly. It was very much creativity on that end too, figuring out how to do virtual sessions with like kids, like scavenger wow. hunts in their house. Mm. It just, we really were trying to pull together of how we were going to make this work. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful, Lauren? Definitely the creativity. I very much speak in metaphor, storytelling, creativity. So I can always incorporate that in my yeah. sessions. Okay. And a lot of times clients will relate to that. So I think that that's a strength that I bring. And also in recent years with working at the hospital, just sometimes bluntness, sometimes you yeah. have to get right on in there and get right. I call it down and dirty, <laughs> especially when it comes to things like substance use, you do have to have a little bit more of that hardcore. Yeah. You have to be a lot more hardcore and just a little bit more blunt with your interventions. Right. So yeah, I would definitely say, yeah, the creativity and just the boldness <laughs> <is> my strength. <laughs> 
Speaking of success, Lauren, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? I think to me, that just means a lot of times people think of success as having a lot of money. Now, definitely financial stability is important to me, but defining success to me is just being your happiest, being the best version of yourself and being content and being able to have that resiliency to to take on because sometimes life happens and we can yep. prepare for a lot of stuff, but it happens. For sure. <laughs> so to me, success from a therapeutic perspective is to say, okay, these are the issues I'm dealing with. This is how I'm going to deal with them moving forward. And if it happens again, I've got these skill sets and I have that resilience. Success is a very broad, it's very broad. For sure, for sure. <laughs> what would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? What was your life like after learning it? One of the most recent things I've learned, and it's this has just been a recent my of my own spiritual just transformation with everything. Not everybody is as empathetic and not as every not everybody puts in the hard work you do. And that's a tough lesson for a lot of people to learn. Yeah. And my biggest lesson is again as a recovering people pleaser is to not take things like that so personally and really just focus on your inner love and self-work and focus on the relationships that do bring you peace and do bring you that joy in your life. That's so, a hard lesson to learn because it is. <laughs> I think when we are a specific way, empathetic, caring, giving, we almost expect that from others because we yep. are that way. And unfortunately, not everybody is like that. There are people no. out there, of course, like that, but not everybody is. There's people out there who are selfish and are out for themselves and all of those things. So it's a very hard lesson to get. It is. And let me tell you something. Therapy does not help everybody, especially when you're on that cluster B personality side. Let me tell you something. When you're dealing with narcissism, antisocial, I, again, I'm not saying it could never happen. Right. But very rarely do these types want to work on themselves. And yeah. so I think everybody, again, it's like a cautionary tale. It's you want to be empathetic. You want to help, but ultimately it's up to them and it's up to you. And that's I the see other so lesson. Many, yes, that's a big lesson because I mean, how many times I'm sure you've heard people and I've heard women on your podcast talk about this of just trying to help that person of let's bring them into therapy. You'll get better. No. Mm. And we have to stop taking on that role as a fixer and a people yeah. teacher because Tough you, lesson. <laughs> you, yeah, for sure. Because you can't help someone that doesn't want to be helped. As much no. as that's in your nature and you want to give and you want to help them because you don't want to see them struggle, if they don't want to do the work and they don't want to get the help, can't, as the saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So nope. <laughs> you can only do so much and then the rest is up to them. Right. And it's a painful lesson to learn. It's not a lesson anybody wants to learn. I mean, I did not want to have a freaking podcast called Life After Discard, but here we are. And I'm hoping that people can start learning that lesson sooner these days rather than later, because I think it's going to save a lot of heartache. Well, all we can do is share our experiences with the hopes that the people listening and the people we're speaking to will take those lessons from us and hopefully be able to change their path so that they don't have to go through the same things, some of the same things, right? Right. I mean, yeah, that's part of the storytelling. Right. Well, that's why I was so drawn to your podcast, because obviously I heard Benita's story, which is, I knew that was going to blow up because that was just insane. But yeah, like something that horrible. Now, yeah. my story was not anywhere near 
extreme like that. But but yeah, it's that idea of pain into purpose, even just telling certain experiences and having someone say, oh, wow, that's similar to what I experienced. What were some red flags or what, yeah. what were some warning signs? And then after this experience, and if people hear the podcast like yours, they can go out in the world and say, I'm not going to be shut off, but I'm also not going to have rose colored glasses on either. Self-awareness. Absolutely. Self-awareness and just warning signs with other people, other people <laughs> yeah. who, who don't do the work and who are not empathetic. For sure. What does the word empowerment mean to you? Empowerment, I think, back to that other word, resilience, mm -hmm. and just being able to always strive to grow and do better because none of us are perfect. and. Yeah. We all have stuff we need to work on and improve on. And I think empowerment to me is just your ability to do that and your ability to still see good in the world and still see good in people. But again, back to that B word with boundaries. <laughs> I um, see a common thread here, Lauren. <laughs> oh, big time. Yeah. But yeah, but to not lose your zest for life in spite of things. I think yeah. that's empowerment to me. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping oh, of questions, okay. just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm a game show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How would you describe yourself in one word? Resilient. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Back to the B word, boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> if you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Inspiring. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? Capacity. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Love. <laughs> if you were writing your autobiography, what would the title be? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> you said just one word? No, one, to th one oh. two, three, four words. It's okay. Just not full sentences, just a few words. My autobiography. Let's see. Well, because... Recently, my blog is about being a recovering Wendy from a Peter Pan and Wendy dynamic. So I don't know. Maybe it could be something like from Wendy to the Queen. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Just something like that. Some sort of yeah. metaphor of, yeah, that's a tough one. I'll have to really think about that one. <laughs> what is your personal motto? I would say don't lose hope. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> What challenge in your life has shaped you the most? Well, I, again, I would say this recent thing that, that happened with me, I was in love with someone for close to six years and mm -hmm. was essentially a covert narcissist. And I was discarded, tossed like trash. And that's kind of what started me on this whole journey of, well, I need to start doing some self-work. I need to start speaking. I need to start using this for purpose. And I think this experience, even though it was really painful at the time this past April, I definitely am not going to be the same person I was. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this whole thing, we go through shit. And at the time, it feels like it's the worst thing that could possibly happen for us, not to us. And when we're able to, I think, get ourselves out of that situation in terms of being able to take a step back and look in at it and realize that, you know what, this was actually the best thing that could have happened to me because there's the lessons in there and everything happens for a reason, but you have to be able to, and it's hard, it's not easy to be able to take a step back and step out of, essentially step out of our bodies and look at it from an outsider's perspective and realize, wait a minute, there's a lot to learn here. There's a lot to unpack here, but this happened for a reason. Mm -hmm. 
and there's good in this situation. There's always a silver lining in every situation, no matter how bad it seems. There's always a silver lining there. It's just a matter of being able to take a step back and look in and find it and realize that it's there. Right. And that, oh yeah, and like you were saying, that is the most, that that's difficult because absolutely, I, it's such a fine area. And, and I talk about this very delicately because survivors of abuse and everything, yeah. it's not your fault. It was mm-hmm. not my fault that this person discarded me and this happened, but here's where the inner work and where it gets tough. I had to sit back and look at why did I allow myself to be in this toxic dynamic? And that's where it's hard. Again, it's not your fault, but you still have to sit and say, well, at some point, what was my role in this where I allowed this to happen? And that's hard. It is for sure. Absolutely. It's not easy. I mean, in when it comes to inner work, it's never easy. That's the hardest thing because we are our own worst critics. We are hardest on ourselves. Yes. Nobody else needs to be hard on. A, I mean, we are hardest on ourselves and we need to be able to let that go and not be so hard on ourselves. Yes. Do the work. That's key is being able to do that work. And the work is never done. It never stops. You have to continually do that work because we are continually evolving and changing and growing and expanding. So we also have to realize that work doesn't stop. Just because we've gotten through one situation doesn't, okay, I'm done. There's no more work to be done. That's not the case. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd love it to be. I mean, trust me. There are some days, like especially right when the discard happened, I mean, yeah, you do fall into that depression where I had to get medication for myself, which was fine and it mm-hmm. helped. But yeah, you do have to continue that inner work because yeah, there were definitely days where it was just like, gosh, can I just have a quick fix? Can I please just have yeah, a quick of fix course. so I can of just course. forget this person, forget this situation? But unfortunately, it does not happen that way. Yeah. And just like with healing, it's not linear. I have days where I feel wonderful. And yep. Nowadays, there's more better days than not. Yeah. But then, and there's some days where I just say, I'm having a low day. I need to just regroup. And whether that's just cuddle with my dog or watch something, yeah. watch a stupid reality show, just something. And that's okay, too. Yeah. And I think that's the key is to realize that it's okay to have those days every once in a while. They're going right. to happen and they will pass, but you got to acknowledge them when they come. Exactly. And that's the problem with there. We go back to that mental health stigma. And I even have some of my own family members that, I mean, they mean well because they want me to be happy, but yeah. in their mind, they just think, well, you should be over this by now. Yeah. Like, Why aren't mm-hmm. you over this by now? I said, well, in order to be over it, you have to go through it. There's not a quick pill. There's not a quick fix for it. Even things like antidepressants, what I explain to people who are hesitant about medication, I always say, look, we don't want zombies here. That's not the point of taking medication. We don't want you to be a zombie. Now, if you're in an acute situation, sometimes you need to sleep and that's different. But like, for example, an antidepressant for me, it just allowed me to not feel my emotions, but made them easier to process and easier to think about them. And But you're not numbing them either. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everybody should learn at some point in their life? Don't expect perfection. and release some control of things. I think that's a lesson I had to learn for myself. And I think that clients are learning too. have a good skill set. I mean, prepare. I'm not saying don't do things like prepare for the future and do all these things. But sometimes just 
as you said, shit happens. And we have to have the wheelhouse. We have to have the tools of how to manage those things when they do. Because again, we don't know what's going to be thrown our way. (laughs) Well, the only thing we have control over is our our emotions and our reaction to situations. That's all we can control. That's it. And that's another hard lesson to learn. We cannot control what other people do, what other people say, what other people think. All we have control over is our own emotions and our reaction to those situations. And that's it. Exactly. And that's the biggest, it sucks. I would love, I tell people all the time, (laughs) like before they leave the psych unit, I tell people all the time, if I had a damn magic wand and making everything work out for all of you, when you leave here, I would absolutely love that. But I unfortunately cannot guarantee that. But yeah, it's about how you respond and how you move forward from that. For sure. Lauren, what is your why? It's actually the title of your podcast. It's to empower others and I think to reach a state of healing just in general, whether it's healing from grief or healing from a chapter in their life that they have to move forward. I I want people to be happy overall. I mean, happiness all the time is not realistic, but just happy overall and just at peace. That's my why is to see people just grow and evolve just beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? That I definitely was a control freak, not <laughs> meaning to be, but just with the anxiety wise, I had to let a lot of things go. And I had to also acknowledge that I was a people pleaser. And I had to acknowledge that I had some of my own just anxious codependent tendencies of wanting things to work and wanting everybody to be happy all the time. And I had to realize, well, I definitely need to let that go. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Madonna, hands down, Madonna. She has inspired me since I was a kid. I discovered her in the 90s. So that would be her ray of light era when she was starting to come back. And I I don't know. I always knew that I was really different and I wanted different things than like the traditional, I don't know, the typical American dream. I wanted to do things like travel, really increase my education and do all these things. And seeing that in the 90s was a big deal. Like a woman being just so creative and very unapologetic about speaking her mind and speaking her truth. And Mm. to me, that was refreshing, probably because of the rural area that I grew up in. It was very conservative. And yeah, so I would love to just sit down and pick her brain one day. That would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Don't be a damn people pleaser. (laughs) (laughs) That is a big one. And also to not try to fit into a certain mold, be who you are and don't be a people pleaser. Now, and again, I, people say when I say that is, does that, what does that mean, Lauren? Does that mean just being a bitch all the time? No, that does mm-hmm. not mean being unkind. But that means, again, back to the B word, having, yeah. having the boundaries and that assertive communication for yourself. So that'd be yeah. the main one is you don't need to please everybody, Lauren. <laughs> well, and you can't either. Nobody can. Nobody can please everybody. Yeah. And people aren't going to like you for whatever yeah. reason. It's fine. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and Well, we're not everyone's cup of tea and everyone is not ours, period. That's it. Right. It's about finding your tribe, finding mm-hmm. the people you vibe with, finding the people you connect with who are of like mind. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And that's, and I always tell people, you you find when you're on this journey, your circle tends to get a little bit smaller, but more meaningful. Like some, 
acquaintances that you, I'm sure you know this, that you had in your like 20s or even early 30s, mm-hmm. or maybe a light interaction, but I'm not yeah. really vibing with that anymore. Yeah, you drift because you grow and some people don't grow. Some people stay where they are. That's right, part exactly. of the journey. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Lastly, Lauren, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Again, it's going to sound like a hippie cliche, but love life and don't please everybody. You cannot please everybody. And just focus on the people that truly care about you, that you truly care about. Beautiful. Lauren, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for taking and making the time to share a little bit about the beautiful light you put out into the world through the work you do, a bit about your story, your journey. It has been an absolute pleasure having the opportunity to sit down and speak with you and share in that journey. I appreciate you and I'm grateful to be connected and have you as a member of the Empowerography community. Oh, thank you so much, Brad. I'm so honored to be here and I'm so honored to be among all these beautiful souls. You added me to the Facebook group. I just <laughs> love, I love hearing everyone's stories every week on your show. It's, it's It's truly amazing. So thank you. My pleasure and my honor. My guest today has been Lauren Wickline. She is a mental health therapist. Lauren, thank you so much. Could you share with the audience, those out there listening, where they can connect with you, where they can find you if they want to learn more about who you are and the work you do? Sure. So I mainly go on Instagram and that's where you can find all like the link to my blog and my podcast. That's well, it's just starting. I don't have a lot of episodes out yet. Yep, in the that's new okay. Phrases, but so mainly Instagram, it's Lauren and it's underscore wiki wiki, W-I-C-K-Y, W-I-C-K-Y. Okay. And then that's probably the best hub of everything because that's where, again, my blog, podcast, all that is linked there as well as an email address. Perfect. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Lauren Wickline. Lauren, thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Thanks. You too. Thank you, Brad. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca and follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.